Our scripture lesson this evening is found in the book of Romans, the seventh chapter, reading through the eighth chapter, the fourth verse. Romans 7, 21 through Romans 8, 4. Beginning then at Romans 7, 21, I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man. I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law. But in the sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. For a text this evening, I'd like to use the first two verses of Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. You really can't feel the marvelous power and the extraordinary significance of these couple of verses that we just looked at. Unless you see the depth of despair in the heart of the person who wrote them. His name, of course, as we all know here tonight, was the Apostle Paul. And he was a man whom we tend to put on a pedestal, and rightly so. Because God used him in a marvelous way to build his church. But what we need to learn to do as we read the Bible, and many of us are so familiar with the Bible, there isn't a thing hardly that could be brought up out of it that we haven't heard before, but we have to ask God always to help us understand it in such a way that we will 
have an emotional response to it. But we will feel it deep in our hearts. And certainly this text of ours is a fundamental center post for the Reformed faith. It speaks about the great work of Jesus Christ. But look at Paul. Just before he wrote it. He saw the words. Oh wretched man. That I am. Who will deliver me. From the body of this death. Now this is. Astonishing, almost beyond expression. That here, just before the Apostle Paul was about to write this most marvelous chapter in the Bible, I say that, there are many others that are marvelous too, but this chapter that is so profound, so complete, so gloriously wonderful. You can read it again and again and again and you should read it again and again and again to tell you the truth. Because it lifts you up this 8th chapter of the book of Romans. But before he wrote it he let us see the interior structures of his own personhood. He wants us to understand That Romans 8 was written by an individual who could only use the word wretched when he thought of how he felt about himself and how he felt about God and how he felt about how he should be living and what he should be doing. As I was working through this for this message, I found my own person simply saying, how could this be that Paul would call himself a wretched person? You know the history of the Apostle Paul. The ninth chapter of the book of Acts describes his conversion to Christianity. How it happened that he became a follower of Jesus. We all know about it if we are Christians who have been Christians for several decades. But just to think of it again this evening. As he's going to Damascus to find Christians. So he could persecute them. Jesus stops it along the road. Jesus stops him. And he talks to him. And it's at that point where the Apostle Paul, this proud Pharisee who had so much religion in his heart. I mean, he was one of these people who was a religious fanatic. And suddenly, it was all shattered in an instant. And he lay there in the dust. 
And Jesus spoke to him. And he became a new creation. That was his experience. And now this man, who is brought to Jesus in such a remarkable way, this man, he calls out, who will rescue me from the body of this death? He didn't say that then, while he was lying in the dust. He said it after he was a church leader. The writer of the book of Romans. And looking inside himself, he realized that he still was a person who had a kind of ugly schizophrenia. Yes, he knew Jesus. Yes, he had the Holy Spirit. Yes, but there is also that in his members. He calls the law that's in my members, in me, the personality I have. That which I received from my parents and all of that, but just the, the person that I am. And I realize that even though I am following Jesus, I know that this law is an utter embarrassment. For in my inner being I delight, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Paul, how can you say that? After all that you've given to God, all the courage and all the bravery which you've displayed, how can you say that? And I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know this answer, or rather this observation which we are required to make as Christians living in this century, in this world. We have to say, we too have the same situation in our lives. We too had that if he had it. Certainly Joel Niederhood must have it. And every one of you can fill in the blank with your name. You must have it. And when we think about it, we must not just say, well, yes, indeed, you know, that's the way people are. I I never could get over this, or I never could get over that, or I still have this, this tremendous interest in this, which I should not have interest in. But you know how it is. No. We have no excuse. We have no way that we can circumvent the reality of the kind of persons that Christians are. Even one such as this, a hero in the work of God. And he calls himself wretched. I just want to ask you tonight, How long has it been since you have reacted to flaws in your interests, your personhood, or whatever, and said, oh God, 
I am still a wretched person. How long has it been? I've been thinking about this and, and it strikes me that people like you and myself who have been, most of us I suppose, have been Christians for many years and we are Calvinists who believe in election and so once we get the doctrine straight and we know the confessions and we say well yes indeed of course it's true but it doesn't really affect me I could never speak like this because God has made a provision for my salvation that is absolutely certain and God has made it so that we would get to know each other, a group of Christian people, and yes, we had some problems, and we have some problems, and sometimes we have them even in our churches, and all of that. But could it not be true that we're missing something when we must confess that we seldom think of ourselves as wretched sinners still in the grip of so many things that we prefer not to speak with others about, but we know they're there. And so the apostle raised a question, who will deliver me? And so our text begins. So then I in myself and my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature is slave to the law of sin. And I standing here on this pulpit, I can take those final words of the Apostle Paul in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans and I can say, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature I'm a slave to the law of sin. And when we say that, then we can see the wonder, the glory, the absolute necessity of having a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Thinking about him, praying in his name, reflecting on what he has done for us. That must be something which drives us on, which which makes every day glorious and wonderful. Listen to this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. A couple of things about that text. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How long has it been since you have just 
said. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. There is no condemnation for this sinful person. I fear sometimes about people like ourselves with a well-developed theology, soteriology, anthropology, all of these. We study it all. And all of it joins together in making us think about our faith as a kind of academic reality. Oh, there is an academic side to Christianity. Indeed, there is. But if anyone knew about it, the Apostle Paul, of course, did not know it in the same sense we did, but we do, that theological, that academic, that is a part especially of Reformed Christianity and all of that. But to be a real Christian, we need this as well. We are by nature a condemned people. Now, I certainly don't want to be accused of accusing you of anything spectacular or terrible. But think what God sees when he looks at a person like the Apostle Paul and like you and like me and and hears me saying, Lord, you know, I'm very impressed with what I must be in your service and all the gifts you give me, but this law that works in my members, in my members. You know what that is? Who you are. Your members. That's what he's talking about. And we have to think about that. Because often people with a religious pedigree that we possess think about our faith in terms of Calvinism, predestination, and we don't realize that by nature every one of us should hang by his neck until he's dead because of his sins. Every one of us by nature is a person who should go to hell itself. By nature. And part of that nature still keeps coming up. I mean, we still have that sinful nature in all sorts of ways. And here the Apostle Paul says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's something mystical here. In Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. 
set me free, not in the sense that I would not still be encumbered by those embarrassing realities that come out of the the nature of the kind of person I am, but we're free from it in the sense that that is not going to condemn us. Praise God. Hallelujah. It's not going to condemn us. Why? Because in Christ Jesus, all the punishment that I deserve, that you deserve, all of it was laid on him. Every bit of it. And so this sinner who preaches to you tonight and you sinners who look at me tonight, let us be filled with joy and gladness as we remember that every one of us is a candidate for eternal condemnation, but every element of punishment that is made for us, Jesus, took our place. And he received it. And when you look at the cross, when you look at Christ on the cross, you're looking at the place where you yourself should be. And you will remember this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. So we think of Christ. We think of Christ. But we also must remember that when we think of Christ and what he did at Calvary and what he did in his life of obedience, as he corrected the absolute ugliness that the human race had made of itself and he corrected it for his people And he took the sin upon himself. He did this in order that we may now live in the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. For the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature. But now, he says, we live according to the spirit. The spirit of God. This is one of the things that often troubles me. That we as Reformed people, we tend to look askance at those who are are moved by the Spirit of God. I remember many years ago, and I probably shouldn't be mentioning this, but it happened in Minsk in Russia. 1989, and there were mainly Baptists there. There was a full church of it. We knew that communism was about to go away. And we were able to speak, those of us who were on that pulpit then, to all these wonderful people who had undergone and 
and been under communism and had been treated terribly, some of them in labor camps and whatnot else. And he said, the government is now allowing the Baptists, because they were all Baptists, to be by themselves, whereas before they'd been joined with the Pentecostals. And I remember it so clearly that so many of them said, we don't have the Pentecostals anymore. Now we can go forward. But in those days and in that place, the Pentecostals were people who were standing on street corners doing embarrassing things for the others and all of that. But sometimes we too can, as Reformed people, we can say, you know, we don't want, we want to be self-controlled people, you see. But God makes very clear to us that we are a wretched people by nature. But now Christ has come and paid the price completely and given us the law of the Spirit of God. The only way we can begin to be what God wants us to be is not that we have to go and study and all of that. Yes, we, that, that's all a part of it. Don't misunderstand me. But we need to have the spirit of the living God. We need the law of the spirit controlling our lives. Jesus died on the cross. Do you understand? I'm sure you all do. We talk about this sometime, but he died on the cross to pay for our sins, but to earn the right to send the Holy Spirit into his church so that people like ourselves who still have a lot of Saul's problem, Paul's problem, say, in my members, uh, the war, there's a war of the making me a prisoner of the law of sin. But thanks be to God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, he comes, the Holy Spirit comes, and he sanctifies us. Yes. Makes us holy. Yes. But he also gives us a faith that will make very clear to us that it is the most important thing in our lives. Our faith. And it's a gift from God in order that while we are in this world, we will live the way God wants us to live. And we will do what God wants us to do. And he will use us in many ways and in many places if we recognize that the law of our members, which can so often embarrass us, can now be overcome to a large degree by the law of the spirit of life. And then Christianity becomes so exciting, so glorious, and so wonderful. And if we're really sensitive and we haven't experienced these kinds of things, then we have to say, oh, wretched man that I am, that I continuously fall back 
into these thinkings that I just can't get over. But then after all, we do believe in total depravity. And we have a theology that will cover that. We need to live by the law of the Spirit of God, which means the Spirit of the living God has to be the motivator and the empowerer for everything we do. We're no longer condemned, praise God, but we're also now given that person of the Holy Trinity that enables us to live for God. And so, I must, before I conclude, mention something that's going on in heaven, even as we are here just now. And that is this. The God who gave us this Bible, the words from the Apostle Paul, what a wretched man I am. And the words from the Apostle Paul who tells us that, We're not going to go to hell. There's no condemnation because Jesus went to hell for us. And the one who gave us the words that says now we can live by the Spirit of God also tells us in Romans 8 that Jesus and the Holy Spirit even as we are here tonight, are praying for us. Christianity is so glorious. I just looked at the 26th verse of the 8th chapter. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that cannot be expressed. Isn't it wonderful to know that the Holy Spirit of the living God is before the throne of grace praying for us because if he wasn't, there'd be no hope at all that we could live for God. And then in the same chapter, he says this. Who is it that condemns? Then he's Christ who died. More than that, who was raised to life and he's at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us From the love of God shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or the sword. My brothers and sisters, do you realize this? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Why? Because Christ died on the cross, yes. Because we have received the power of the Holy Spirit from the living God, yes. But nothing can separate us from the love of God because the Holy Spirit is praying for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. 
and Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God praying for us all the time. We would go to hell for certainty if the Spirit and Jesus were not in prayer for us poor sinners. I am moved to preach to you tonight about these things because I, as many of you, have been a reformed Christian for many of years. And I have represented reformed Christianity with great joy in many places of the world. But sometimes I fear that it is reformed people who do not sense the emotional content of what it means to be a wretched person. Wretched. Who God, through the sacrifice of Jesus and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Oh, it is exciting to be a believer in Jesus. It is glorious beyond description to know that even though the members of our bodies still are mired in the ugliness of sin, God has given us the sacrifice that pays for our sin and the third person of the Trinity comes right into our lives and gives us a joy that no one can understand unless they understand something of this miracle that we have looked at this evening. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, our God, we, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you too that in the memory of many of us